Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational Shigi live from Yancey Street. Today is Monday, September 13th, 2021, and I do have to apologize. Once again, I did miss the Friday episode that we were supposed to have. Um, that was due to me getting ready to go out of town for a memorial service. Uh, it went really well, actually. I saw a lot of family I haven't seen in a long time, but I was very busy all weekend and <laughs> had to spend a lot of today catching up. So while it is looking at my watch, almost 8.30 at night <laughs> Pacific Standard Time, where I am right now, um, you know, roughly six hours later than I would want it to be, but it's okay because we're getting it done. Um, it will not have the Shang-Chi spoiler reveal, spoiler review in it on this episode. I apologize because it's just not really going to work out until I see it a second time. I think I, I want to make sure that I have a really, really good uh, review set up for you guys. And I think the best way for me to do that is to see it a second time, potentially this weekend. So, um, check back in a week for that spoiler review. I really want to make sure I give it credit and don't just write the, you know, piddly little things that come off the top of my head. Um, I really want to put some thought into it and do some, uh, looking into comic counterparts and whatnot. So, um, when it will come, it will be a very good review, uh, because it was a very good movie, and if it wasn't, I wouldn't be going to see it a second time. This episode, we can go ahead and call episode 33. Um, I, I think that works, because the last episode we did a week ago was, uh, we called it 32B, so we'll go ahead and call this episode We'll call it 33A, assuming that I get a Friday episode done again this week. Um, I've just been very busy with all of my work and things, but you can keep up with my life online. If you like to follow me on social media, I do have an Instagram, which is Anna with the comics, because my name is Anna and I do have lots of comics. Uh, my Twitter is Savage she Geek. I usually put some updates if there's anything happening with the podcast, I'll put updates on there. Um, otherwise, it's just regular Twitter stuff. Um, I do have my website also, which is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com, and that is where I had previously uh, written a lot of reviews, discussions, um, things like that revolving around comics and comics culture. Basically, everything that I do now on the podcast, I used to write, and it's, it's, it's I think, a lot more um, time conscious doing it on the podcast, but I do still have what I call podcast notes, which are basically what I come up with through the week, things to discuss on the podcast to make sure that I don't get too off track with everything. Um, and that is, I make accessible to people on the website if they don't want to listen to me and rather read, or if they are hearing impaired and would like to still keep up with the events and everything that we discuss on the podcast, that is made available to anyone like that. Um, also on my website, there is a page linking you to absolutely everywhere that you can listen to this podcast, which does include YouTube, where I post action figure review videos, um, as well as all of the episodes of this podcast in a nice little playlist. The most recent thing that I put on the, um, action, on the, on the YouTube page that is action figure review videos was the SH Figure Arts Beerus, and the next thing that will be going up will be the HasLab Sentinel, which we have the tracking for it, just hasn't shown up yet. So hopefully it's not stuck in transit somewhere and we'll get that in pretty soon. Hopefully this week, fingers crossed. 
I have been very busy, as I said, because I have this um, it's, it's, I have this part-time job that I work, which does take up, uh, it's on the high end of hours as far as part-time jobs go, um, which is great for money and things, but it does take away a lot of the time that I can spend working on this podcast, which is why I've been having a, a fair amount of episodes that are late or behind schedule or... Um, just not what I originally planned them to be based on the format that I've been doing these podcasts. So, um, if you would like to support the podcast, donate to the podcast financially in that way, um, you can do that. I have a podcast Patreon, which is on Patreon under Sensational She Geek. That is where you can do a monthly subscription thing. There is absolutely no requirement to do that. I will never charge anybody to listen to the standard edition of the podcast, um, but if you do subscribe on the Patreon, I will have little, um, patrons, stickers, and thank you gifts and things like that, that I will hopefully be able to send out as soon as possible. I also have a Ko-fi, which is like a little service where you can, um, donate just a few dollars at a time to, uh, various creatives in the various industries. The whole idea behind it being give them whatever, you know, three bucks to buy a, coffee, a cup of coffee. And whether or not they use that for a cup of coffee or for rent is really up to their discretion. Um, but that's the whole idea behind it. And it is not a subscription. It is a one-time, as-you-feel-like-doing-it thing. I also have a Redbubble store where I have some uh, slogans and things that I have made into stickers and t-shirts and whatnot. Redbubble takes a design and puts it on whatever product you want. So you can pretty much go through the list and put the designs on anything that you can imagine. On Kofi, you can find me under SheGeek, and under the Redbubble store, you can find me under SheGeek Shop. And like I did mention, the Shang-Chi review is probably going to be happening next Monday, um, once I have seen the movie a second time, to make sure that I give it due credit. In this episode, um, we're going to actually start things off talking about two points of speculation uh, surrounding MCU castings. Um, two very exciting things. We'll go into those in a little bit. And then we're going to discuss very quickly, well, it's <laughs> actually won't be very quick. I'll do it as quickly as I can. The comic book pick list for last week's comics, which were things coming out the 7th and 8th of September. Uh, so some really good stuff that I have some uh, decent discussions about and then some things that I just I really enjoyed but just have you know one or two brief things to cover what happened in the issue after that we'll get into the two TV shows that we're going to be discussing on this episode and that is what if episode 5 which is what if zombies it's the Marvel zombies episode um, and then we have Titans episode 7 which was titled 51% once we get through those shows, we have two other shows to discuss, but regarding the two trailers that have come out recently, and that includes uh, Doom Patrol Season 3 trailer and the Hawkeye trailer, which will be premiering on Disney Plus this November. Last thing we're going to talk about on today's podcast is the comic book pull list for this week's comic books, things coming out September 14th and 15th. It's a good list of things, a fair amount of stuff that I'm really excited for and have been looking forward to for a good while, so stick around to the end to get all of that good comic-y nonsense. I should also add that I am sitting in a very warm room 
with the window open because it is pretty late at night and it's still pretty warm outside. Um, but due to trying to keep the fan off because that would be very loud in the background, you may hear some cars driving by as there is a somewhat busy street not too far away from the window. But that's okay. Uh, this will not be a regular thing. Um, but a thing that I will want to make regular if I can remember to do it each time. Uh, last week I put the time signatures or time stamps, whatever you want to call them, for the different sections of the podcast, going through the TV shows and the news and whatnot, and listing out what you can jump, what time signature you can jump to. Time signature is a music term, I think. What time stamp you can jump to in order to get to the point of the podcast that you are most looking to jump to, if that is what you do with the podcast side it's totally cool with me um and that is why i will be trying to put those in the description from now on um whether or not you can click on the little timestamps as links or um just kind of scroll along the uh, progress bar to get to the point that you want to watch i will be having that added in now um as much as i can remember to make that easier for people to listen to and enjoy so let's go ahead and start off with the speculation section of the podcast. Um, there are two points, as I mentioned before, of speculation involving castings for the MCU. The first of that I am... We'll start with the first one being the shorter one um, that I have less to say about, and that is one that has been heavily speculated on for a number of years now, Adam Warlock. Um, there is technically a few ways that they could do Adam Warlock. He does have an evil half, um, technically, um, it, but they're basically clones, so it's, it's, I don't think they would cast two actors. But the news is, or rather the speculation is, that apparently Alexander Skarsgård has been screen tested as Adam Warlock and is one of the three actors who have now screen uh, screen tested and are on the shortlist for potentially playing Adam Warlock in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, a few months ago there was some news source, I believe it was that one that keeps putting out honestly just a bunch of completely false and blatantly made up claims about the MCU and the DCEU. Um, but they had claimed that that James Gunn was looking for a, quote, Zac Efron type to play Adam Warlock. And James Gunn had found this on Twitter and got all ragey about it, <laughs> as he tends to do on Twitter. Um, that's perfectly within his rights as a human. Um, <laughs> and he said that, you know, oh, if he's a gold person, why would I be looking for a blonde-haired white guy like Zac Efron in <laughs> them? Isn't Alexander Skarsgård blonde-haired, blonde-eyed, uh, blonde <laughs> we know what I mean, blonde-haired and blue-eyed white guy? That's what I'm trying to say. Um, isn't that pretty much the same thing? And for some reason, you know, looking for any kind of news about the speculation, of which there is not very much, um, except for the fact that people are really excited that we're going to be seeing Adam Warlock in that movie. It's, it's confirmed at this point. Um, for some reason, people are still really caught up on the Zac Efron thing. Um, you know, if that ends up being what happens, fine. But I don't really see that being the direction that they're going to want to go with this character. Um, I, 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 that would, that would kind of put a different image 
in my mind than what I've been kind of picturing um, their Adam Warlock is going to be. But, you know, I could be completely wrong. <laughs> if it's going to be Alexander Skarsgård, if it's going to be Zac Efron, either way, you know, I'm sure they can make it work. This is not really anything that they haven't... Oh, it's not really been anything that they've completely messed up. Um, I can't really think about that for too long because I'm already starting to to prove myself wrong, but um, we'll just leave it like that and go on to the second bit of MCU speculation that we have to talk to you about today, and that is regarding the character from the comics known as Novar. He is um, known as Marvel Boy. I believe he is a child of Marvel, who um, we know in the MCU was actually a woman who was based off of uh, the Marvel in the comics, as well as the, um, there was a character whose name, I, I can't remember, but Kelly Sue DeConnick created her, or at least, um, killed her off, I guess, when she was a, she was a, an Air Force pilot from, I believe, World War Two, and she was a huge inspiration for Carol wanting to be a pilot growing up, um, and while she does die in the Kelly Sue DeConnick run of Captain Marvel, she is a really, really integral part of Carol's storyline, um, and I definitely think that in choosing to put uh, Marvel as a woman in the Captain Marvel movie, which of course I do have critiques of, um, but this was one point I really did enjoy, because they seem to definitely take um, inspiration from that old woman pilot character from World War II that Carol grew up with, you know, whoever she was, whose name I can't recall. Um, definitely seemed to be a combination of Marvel and her, so that was really cool to see. But anyway, we have the confirmation just this week that Korean actor Park Seo-joon, um, I'm sure I said that wrong, so I apologize, uh, it was confirmed for being cast in The Marvels, which, if you're out of the loop, is Captain Marvel 2. Before I get going into any of this, um, I would just like to remind everybody that Captain Marvel 2 has been given a completely fresh set of writers, directors, and creators entirely in there. So um, I expect it to be completely a 180 from the first movie, at least in certain parts. Um, we are getting Monica Rambeau. We are getting Kamala Khan. We are getting Carol Danvers. Um, and potentially, with the addition of this actor, we could be getting Novar. Um, as I said, Novar is a child of um, Marvel in the comics, I believe. He is known as Marvel Boy, and he is one of the young Avengers. So there is a lot of potential there. Um, there were some articles that pointed out this is the first time that this actor has been associated with an American film project. Um, he is really known for K-dramas and South Korean films, and he had a apparently a notable... I have not seen um, Bong Joon-ho's... I'm sorry about that one again. I, I tried. Parasite, um, which did win the 2019 Academy Award for Best Pictures, I believe. It was 2019 or 2018, whichever year it was. Um, a very, apparently he had a memorable part, memorable cameo in that movie. Um, while Novar has been recently relevant in the comics as a new member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. He was a character appearing in the current Captain Marvel series 
or is about to rather um he is going to be getting a reprint of collected stories about him in the fall um and they're redoing the avengers forever event of the 90s which did include his first cameo appearance so there's a lot of novar appearing in different places in the comics right now which traditionally tends to mean that we're going to be seeing them in the MCU. That's obviously not a rule by any means. Um, it tends to be affected one way or the other, where you get a character we haven't seen in the comics in a while, who their MCU iteration pops up and affects them being in the comics again, or you get a character who they pull into the comics in preparation of them being in the MCU, and Bob's your uncle. You get them. You get both of them. So, um... It would make sense that it would be Novar because A, he has been a relevant character in the comics recently, and B, he is relevant to Carol's, I won't say lineage, but history, I think is a way to go there. Um, but personally, regardless of all that, personally, I would like him to play Amadeus Cho. Um, Amadeus Cho is Braun, is the name we know him as currently, but he is... Um, not Hulkling. Hulkling is Wiccan's husband. He is, um, young, oh, totally awesome Hulk. That's why he went by. Totally awesome Hulk. That was the name of his series as well. Um, so now he is going by Braun. He has led the Agents of Atlas. Um, I don't know necessarily if he's been a young Avenger, um, but he has also been a member of the Champions, I believe, as well. Um, so he's been a kind of spread all over, not all over, but spread sprinkled around the Marvel Comics universe. Um, and as far as the MCU goes, we have already been introduced to his mother. She was the scientist in Avengers Age of Ultron. She, her name, uh, well, the actress's name was Claudia Kim. So there is a space here open for Amadeus Cho to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, either way, if he's going to be Novar or if he's going to be Amadeus Cho, um, a Young Avengers movie is definitely on the way. Whatever they end up calling it, if it's going to be Champions, if it's going to be Young Avengers, if it's going to be something else entirely, we're going to be getting a youthful heroes movie. Well, let's go with that. We've already got Kate Bishop. It's coming up in Hawkeye, which we'll talk about later. We've got Stature who is Ant-Man's daughter, Cassie Lang. We have Iron Lad, who is a, uh, well, I guess you'll say a variant of Kang. You have Patriot, or the potential, the potentiality for him. He is the, I believe, grandson of Isaiah Bradley, who um, experiments with his own you know, stuff and ends up getting, he's not born with powers, but he ends up getting them and becomes Patriot. We also have Shuri, of course, there's lots of talk about her becoming her own version of a hero on a team. Uh, I mean, you know, a superhero, I guess. We have Kamala Khan as Ms. Marvel. We have Kid Loki, we saw on the Loki show. We have America Chavez coming in Multiverse of Madness. And now this character, whether he's Novar or whether he is Amadeus Cho as Braun. That's more than enough to have a really cool, youthful Avengers team of some kind. So definitely going to be looking forward to that. Moving on to the comic book pick list, I have a good number of things that I'm going to run through quickly here. Uh, the first couple of things I'll talk about just a little bit more, starting off with The Me You Love in the Dark, number two. This has been a fantastic read. There's only going to be a couple of issues. You're not signing on for anything too long. It's by Scotty Young, and I believe the art is by Jorge Corona. 
it is spooky. It is awesome. It is well timed out with spooky season getting up and running here this fall. Very, very into this. Um, the plot of this issue was basically this artist who is living in this haunted house of some kind, uh, trying to get inspiration for her art again. She is speaking now with this entity, which confirms that it is not a ghost, actually. Um, she gets kind of freaked out, so she tells it to go away, um, so she can kind of like, this has got to be, am I got to be losing it? And then afterwards she thinks, okay, I, I must have been dreaming. But as time goes on, she starts seeing signs of it again, um, and she calls out, and it's still there. Um, this time, they kind of begin to bond. She realizes that she kind of liked having them around. At the end of the issue, I, I, I think she brings it to bed with her. <laughs> I think that's what happens. Um, but this is spooky and amazing, and I love it. There's, there's not a ton of dialogue. Um, there's not a ton of rampant explanation of what's going on and what's being felt. There's a lot that's reliant on the art, which I love. Um, it's just spooky and great. I love it. Green Lantern 2021 Annual Number One. Um, this is one that I have a little bit more to talk about because of Jessica Cruz and how this issue tells the story of how Jessica becomes a Yellow Lantern. We saw Jessica's Yellow Lantern suit in Green Lantern number five while she was talking to Simon, who didn't recognize her in a hood. Uh, they're partners for like four or five years <laughs> when um rebirth started but he doesn't recognize her somehow but anyway it's just a petty little thing uh the story of how this is going on um it it, it works but it, it it barely works so we'll go over here um what all happens for jessica to join the yellow lantern core so starting off in infinite Infinite Frontier number zero, I believe it was. Um, Jessica was stuck somewhere with her Green Lantern that stopped working because I believe that's when that whole battery blowing up thing happened. Um, and she finds a yellow ring, or rather it finds her and chooses her. So that was a little teaser we got of this journey that she's going to be going on. Now we see that she, after that, she took the ring and started going across the galaxy towards Earth and she took out three yellow lanterns on her way. Low, Uggy, which I guess are two very alien looking ones, and Lissa Drac, who is a super cool looking witch um, with the yellow lantern book of magic or history or something attached to her wrist by a chain. I don't know, but she's awesome looking. Um, she's also had less than two dozen appearances apparently, um, but she is already one of my new favorite lanterns, definitely, alongside um, the cat one, the red lantern cat, and obviously Jessica. So um, Lissa gets her, Lissa Drac gets her chance to fight Jessica now again, um, and in front of Sinestro and Jessica loses. Um, and Lissa gives the ring back to Sinestro. So Jessica wakes up on a new Korrigar, which is the Yellow Lantern planet, I guess, uh, with just the Green Lantern ring that doesn't work anymore, and goes to speak with Sinestro. He gives her the whole spiel about the Yellow Lantern Corps, trying to get her to join the ranks. Uh, but the best compromise the two of them can really work out is that Jessica is just going to use the ring to get back to Earth. 
Um, that's it, just using it as a mode of transportation. Of course, as she's on the way, she does encounter a ship in need of help. Uh, Sinestro is kind of in her ear on this one and gives her some advice on how to help them out, which she does, or so it would seem. And then the art changes at this point for some reason. They switch to another artist, and then Hal Jordan shows up and honestly acts like a total idiot by immediately attacking Jessica, then blowing up on her when he identifies her, and then when she has a great explanation for what's going on, and then winds up saving the day again, he acts like he's this big space boss cop guy letting her off easy. <laughs> Okay, Boomer. And the art switches back to the other, the better artist, in my opinion, um, as Jessica returns to Sinestro on New Korugar, Korugar, and he is not surprised to see her again, calling her a natural with the with the yellow lantern ring. Lissa Drac returns and calls Jessica's talent one worth nurturing, initiating their partnership, which I am very intrigued to see how that relationship goes. Um... I wasn't really, I was only keeping up with the, with the Green Lantern stuff to keep up with Jessica, which was not really anything until this last issue. So, um, if they, if it's going to be, well, she's a Yellow Lantern. Is she going to be in the Green Lantern book or is she getting her own book? Not sure. Um, but either way, I, I'm totally going to keep up with her journey. It's going to be awesome. But anyway, as, um, uh, as Jessica powers up to head out, she narrates internally on her, well, on all of the fearfulness of the universe that she feels in every corner of every world. And then she feels herself there standing, as she says, bright like a candle, reminding them that they're not alone in the dark. So that's how the issue ended. It's interesting, for sure, as a fan of Jessica Cruz, her arc, her what became the story of her becoming a Green Lantern. Um, I'm a big fan of all that. So this is very interesting. Um, I definitely feel like the creators have made themselves a very, very thin line um, to make Jessica as a Yellow Lantern work at all. It does work, but just barely. Um, I'm, I'm just hoping now that the creators tread on the good side of the line that they've created here um, and won't end up disappointing me. <laughs> Finding out she's going to be a yellow lantern anyway was kind of disappointing, but we can work with it if this plot makes sense and doesn't completely screw her over. So, so far, we're doing pretty good with that. Um, Jessica's cornerstone of her character is her fear. I would say one of the very obvious cornerstones of her character. So um, that was why her becoming a Green Lantern was such a great thing because overcoming the fear um, and now in becoming a Yellow Lantern it looks like whereas the bad I don't know, no, please stop, I don't want this plot line would be she submits to the fear um, or is overcome by the fear, it seems they have made it so that Jessica is utilizing her control over fear to be a beacon of hope for the fearful and to find them and help them. I, uh, something like that. It's, it feels like it's missing something, missing a piece somehow. Um, 
but we'll kind of see how it moves going forward. For the most part, I'm 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 good I'm good with it. Um, there's also unrelated to canon DC Comics, there is a young adult graphic novel coming out in I believe January. No, I think it's this month, September, called Unearthed: A Jessica Cruz Story, and that is going to revolve around her becoming a Green Lantern. It is a YA graphic novel, however, these DC graphic novels for young adults are really for minimum age young adults and up. Um, there is a lot of enjoyment to get out of them no matter what your age is, so if you would like to know about the character of Jessica Cruz, or if you would like to learn about whatever iteration they're going to make of her in that uh, YA graphic novel, definitely check that out when it comes out, I believe, this month. On Batman Catwoman number seven, before I get going into that, it was episode 20A that you can go back on this podcast and find me doing a full breakdown of the Tom King Bat-Cat relationship um, as he has made it thus far. So um, that is the format of discussion of the Bat-Cat series that I'm going to be going off of here. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, go back to episode 20A and listen to that Bat-Cat discussion to get a little bit of context of what's going on here. Um, on this issue, it is Tom King. However, this week he has Liam Sharp. I say this week, it's this month. He has Liam Sharp on art. I have to say, I really love Liam Sharp's art. I do, but this is not the style of story for it, in my opinion. His style does not say romance to me at all. Um, it's more mystery and gothic terror, which does have, which does have their places in the story um but the any any of the romance stuff just completely fell through for me um the three different plot lines as usual we're going to be going through the past the present and the future in that order in the past remember where we finished things off was bruce um coming back to selena tracking her down and admitting that he can't live without her um so now they are getting rumbling in the tumbly that's not right they're having a rumble in the hay which is by which i mean they have sex um after <laughs> afterwards um because it's good pillow talk you know bruce talks about how he can tell the joker has been there recently uh and when selena won't tell him where the joker is bruce says that they should just end their relationship uh, what a, what a guy thing to do. So she tells him go ahead, and he he, he doesn't. He obviously isn't going to break up with her, especially after the everything that just happened. Uh, and they end up kissing again. Um, Selena isn't going to tell the joke. Isn't going to tell Batman slash Bruce about the Joker, and she won't tell the Joker about him. So it's it's fair in her mind. Is kind of what I'm seeing here. Um, however, later on in the issue, uh, Bruce in the past is on the scene of, I think it's him in the past at least, um, he's on the scene of a crime as the cops are pulling dead Santa bodies from a chimney who had been stuffed in there all mangled up and tangled up and lovely Joker things. So um, I believe that is the past plotline and Batman is going to have some issues with this new rule that selena has kind of made for their relationship uh, i don't talk about the joker and i don't talk about batman to the joker in the present storyline um where we left things was selena decided she's gonna go help andrea kill the joker so um 
I don't know why, actually. Bruce wakes up in a bank vault naked with a note from Selena basically saying, Haha, good luck. <laughs> it's a little bit odd, and I can't help but wonder if that is a translation um, issue between King's writing and how Sharp translates it to art versus how... Um, not Mikhail Janin. Um, Clay Man, he was doing it before, how Clay Man translates Tom King's writing into art. Um, because actually, for a lot of this present storyline, it really didn't feel like the same series. It felt like we took a moment and stepped into a Frank Miller Batman, um, which in a way makes a lot of sense because, you know, different eras of different, different Batman different Batman was a different type of person in different eras you could argue but but still it's, it felt a little bit like a step at back a step out of the story the same story we've been telling this whole time um but anyway in any case Bruce wakes in the bank vault naked security's on their way he pulls a needle out of his heel which I got the chills looking at it was so gross um he scratches up his forehead with it spreads blood all over his face uh, when the guards show up he fights them and then he takes them all out and once they're all done he dresses up as one of them and gets out of there and goes and talks to the guy who's in charge saying oh we need backup we need backup he's crazy um and you know that's how he gets out so then we get a check-in from Selena, who is half dead and bleeding from her torso. She reports that um, she and Andrea has planned, um, Andrea being the phantasm, of course, had gone to kill the Joker. Andrea swung her blade up to do the final blow, and then the Joker whispered something to her, causing her to pause long enough for Selena to wonder what's going on and take a step closer at which point Andrea turns and slices her instead, leaving with the Joker. So, um, did he say he can bring her son back? Um, I have what you want. I know, what could he possibly say besides that to get her to turn on Selena so quickly? It's what I'm wondering now. Um, and in the future plot line, we have Helena, who is, of course, Batwoman. She reports to Dick Grayson, the new commissioner of Gotham, that her mom, Selena Kyle, did kill the Joker, as she admitted in the last issue, and they all go and send the cops to get her. She has a nice little conversation with Dick as they arrest her, and later in the cave, Helena has a very somber moment um, speaking with her father's costume. She doesn't understand how her parents ended up together as such different people, and she feels herself to be so much more like her father than her mother with her sense of justice and right and wrong that she feels like her mother just doesn't have, and she doesn't get how they could have possibly reconciled that gap of, of morality in their relationship. So she seems to also see this, um, like, she, she says something like, I tried. Like, she seems to see this as being, like, a very final moment, um, for Selena Kyle. Definitely underestimating her mother. Um, there is then a really killer homage from Liam Sharp to Adam Hughes's very infamous Selena Kyle slash Catwoman mugshot from, I want to say, the 90s? Um or the early 2000s, and then once she is in her cell, just like her husband, she pulls a needle from her heel. We can assume here she's about to escape. We'll probably not see that 
we just know it's going to happen based on context. So all of that being said, I do have a new theory on this story. Um, and that is that this whole thing is Selena making up for her many times that she was in a position that she could have stopped the Joker, but she chose not to. It was the one thing that she and Bruce had in common. Well, not the one thing. It was just one thing that she and Bruce had in common, giving the Joker more than enough room than he should have ever had to live and to continue existing. Um, and so now she's not just mad about Andrea, which was the one time that she tried to kill him herself, but all of the other times that she didn't try allowing him to go on to whatever it is that happens in the end. Whatever we see next with Andrea, where she goes off with him, that is the driving force, clearly, because that is what she says to his face as she is killing him. This is for, you know, it haunts me what you did to Andrea. She, he does something. Um, I have to assume that he's going to trick her into thinking her son's alive or something like that. Um, because she's not mad about her own damage from the storyline. She clearly got sliced across the, the center. Um, she's mad about what happens next with Andrea. So um, that's probably b between what happens with Andrea and this, this the horrid history that she is probably looking back on that she had many opportunities to stop. That is my new theory as to um, what is going on with this series, why Selena is doing what she's doing. I'm going to go through the next five really, really quickly. It's about one sentence per uh, for Extreme Carnage Toxin number one. Toxin joins Anti-Venom and Silence, who is the former um, Scream bonded with the Anti-Venom symbiote. Uh, joins Anti-Venom and Silence against Carnage and Company. Uh, up next and last is going to be Agony, although it is hard to tell which side her allegiances will land. Obviously hoping it to be on it with Andy and her team. Daredevil number 34 ended uh, notably with Electra Daredevil and Typhoid Mary Daredevil teaming up to go against Bullseye. They both have beef with him now, and this is going to be a cool fight to watch. Not All Robots number two, the robot and the human revolutions against one another are kicking off on the same night, and I don't see how that could go wrong at all. Sensational Wonder Woman number seven, uh, it was a cute story with a new villainess. Uh, I doubt we'll see her much again, but it was really sweet. Defenders number two was pretty decent. Galactus's mom is a fun addition. And I like most of the characters in the series, uh, but I don't, I don't know if I'm going to keep it up. We'll see. And the last thing I want to discuss in this week's comic book pick list discussion is hashtag Poison Ivy Watch. It's a thing that I'm going to start doing now. Uh, each week I'm going to talk about any, any developments we have with Poison Ivy's story because she doesn't have her own anything. She's just popping up and everybody else's stuff. So we're doing hashtag Poison Ivy Watch for the first week of hashtag Poison Ivy Watch. In Batman number 112, they confirm that Ivy is in a position to tear down Gotham if she is threatened or bored either way, and has been approached by the combination of Harley Quinn and the Gardener, two of her exes potentially 
girlfriend and exes to try and connect with her they will be bringing back the missing pieces of ivy who is off with catwoman in Alleytown. the group just needs to connect their stories to figure it all out and to make ivy whole again which i do hope that they do i don't think it would be good or fun to have a simple-minded and catatonic evil ivy it just doesn't really make sense so i assume that they'll be making one full ivy again and she'll be able to find her center Moving on now, we're going to go into our TV show episodes discussions of the week, and that is, of course, What If Episode 5 and Titans Episode 7. What If Episode 5 premiered on Wednesday, the 8th of September, and it was called What If Zombies? This is the Marvel Zombies episode that we are all really excited about, <laughs> uh, and it had some really cool stuff. Um, while a few of the other episodes were kind of centered around one MCU movie, maybe two, this one, in my opinion, follows events and you need to have background- Ooh, I have an alarm. Sorry. You need to have background from Avengers Infinity War, Captain America Civil War, Spider-Man Homecoming, Black Panther, Ant-Man as well as Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I would also say WandaVision. Um, I saw online people discussing it and they didn't name all of these things, however, I think if you're going to a complete round understanding of everything happening in this, those would be the things to watch. And I would actually not be against, um, you know, I, I honestly would add that now, thinking about it even more. I would add Falcon and the Winter Soldier to that list as well, um, because you get some of the relationship dynamic between the characters here, um, and I think having that show in your repertoire would also help with uh, understanding the different character relationships. So speaking of the characters, we have Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa uh, slash Black Panther, Paul Rudd as Scott Lang's Ant-Man, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner's Hulk, Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne's Wasp, Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes' Winter Soldier, Paul Bettany as The Vision, John Favreau as Happy Hogan, who you know from the Spider-Man and Iron Man movies, Danae Guerrera is Okoye, who is from Black Panther, Emily Van Camp is Sharon Carter from the Captain America stuff, David Dusmalkian is Kurt from the Ant-Man movies, and while I'm talking about him, David Dusmalkian does write comics himself. He wrote a series called Count Crowley. It's only four issues. It was really cute and really fun. It's kind of a camp horror, horror story, um, and it is coming out with a sequel, I think, in early 2022, late 2021. Uh, we also have Tom Von Lawler as Ebony Ma, who we see from Infinity War and Endgame. We did not have Tom Holland as Peter Parker or well, Peter Parker Spider-Man. Uh, instead, we had uh, actor Hudson Thames filling in, who is apparently known from Mad Men, which was a while ago, so I feel like that could get updated. <laughs> uh, what happens, how it, how it happens, how the zombies happen, is dear old Hank Pym, of course, which is how it kind of happens for some of the stories of Marvel zombies in the comics. Um, in this version, dear old Hank Pym goes to the quantum realm to find his good old wife, Janet, who uh, was infected by the virus in the quantum realm. And he doesn't realize what's going on as he approaches her um, and ends up sending his zombie body back to Hope, who only survives by shrinking. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure right off the <laughs> right off the bat there, they kill Paul Rudd's Ant-Man. So um, it was pretty funny. Um, 
due to the zombies, uh, by the time that Bruce Banner crashes onto Earth pre-Thanos invasion, uh, when he lands at the Sanctum in uh, Infinity War, no one is at the Sanctum. Um, And we do have one thing that I would call an error here, and that is he was sent to Earth by Heimdall, who sent him there in an attempt to make him the one survivor of the ship that Thanos has attacked. Um, why would he have sent him to Earth? Because Heimdall sees all, right? That's how he knew to send him to Earth in the first place, was because he knew that Doctor Strange would be able to help him. Um, so why did he send him to Earth with the zombies? That's my one critique um, that I've come up with, at least. So if you have others, let me know. Uh, but moving beyond that, Bruce eventually, of course, leaves the Sanctum, where he encounters the Black Order in the streets of New York, just like in the movie, the Hulk won't come out, um, and they are about to take Banner out when the magic circles open, uh, you know, the Doctor Strange stuff, and Iron Man, Doctor Strange, and Wong all come through to fight the Black Order, which Bruce is really happy about until he realizes that they are actually eating their victims, which is a hilarious moment. Um, and they come from Bruce, of course, and he is saved by Hope Van Dyne, the wasp, and her ants of various sizes. Um, and one thing, actually, I won't have to add here, um, what I kind of found to be craziest about this episode was that all of the zombies, and we see this for as soon as we see Iron Man, Doctor Strange, and Wong, all of the zombies seem to have kept their knowledge of their powers and tools and ability to use their weaponry and powers. So it's, it, it, it's, it's like, um, you know, there's the zombie movies, the different levels of zombies, right? You get the ones that, you get the, the, the crawlers and the ones that just bumble along. And then you get the ones, uh, there was the Brad Pitt movie based off the book where it was, they, they were, they could run and they were really fast and, um, and in the, in the Philip Kennedy Johnson, actually, um, in his really, really good Marvel Zombies Resurrection series, which I think was only four or five issues, so it's not too much to catch up on, and I recommend it. Um, that was the most recent iteration of the Marvel Zombies stuff. It was really great. I loved it. Um, it did feel like a lot of, like, Marvel pulled a lot of, um inspiration from his brand of zombies to put into the episode because his his zombies they had like a leader and they had partial intelligence some of them had more than partial intelligence um so it feels like they kind of pulled from that to put into this marvel zombies episode and so that's maybe um where they got the idea to make them all very lethal (laughs) um in addition to being zombies Um, At this point, we learn that Captain America, Black Widow, Hawkeye, and Iron Man, as well as Black Panther, had set out on what was very, very obviously a very, very bad plan, um, only to obviously disappear under a pile of hungry zombies that clearly didn't work out, um, and things kind of just go downhill in the world as far as zombies go from there. So Banner uh, being saved by Hope Pym or Hope Van Dyne is rescued uh, and taken to the human hideout. Um, unsure if it's the last one in the world or what, but it is a human hideout. And the people inside include Bucky Barnes, Okoye, and Sharon Carter. 
They tell him that they have been tracking a signal from Camp Lay, which is from the Captain America movies mostly, and the signal claims to provide a solution to the zombie problem. So obviously they're not just going to let that slide, they're going to go check that one out. Before they head out though, um, they bring Happy Hogan and Kurt from Ant-Man along with them. It is honestly a very fun miscellaneous grouping of MCU characters. Unfortunately, Happy, who does say blam every time he shoots his gun, he dies almost immediately. His zombie says blam too, which is pretty funny. Uh, then on the train later on, Captain America shows up and he and Bucky have to fight it out until Bucky uh, uses the shield to cut him in half and drop him down a ravine. Uh, and then at last, Hope finally ends up having to sacrifice herself by turning herself huge to carry the rest of them over a field of zombies to their destination. And finally, when they get there, she collapses um, and they kind of assume that she's dead. They should have had her shrink down first. It's going to be a problem later. Uh, and they go inside the, the building that the, the at Camp Lay that the signal's coming from and they find Vision. It was him sending out the signal. He has been experimenting with the Mind Stone and its effect on the zombies. Um, and he, to prove it, he has Ant-Man's head in a jar, alive and well, functioning, talking head, in a jar, just like Futurama. There's <laughs> a lot of sciencey stuff pointing out that that would not, I mean, he doesn't have lungs, he doesn't have, it's Futurama, moving on. Um, so it's all fine and dandy, but then it turns out that the, the Vision has been keeping uh, an infected Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, in the basement of this place, and he had kidnapped T'Challa and was slowly feeding parts of him to her to keep her satiated. And of course, this is the day that she breaks out. Um, fully powered, and as Vision calmly states, very hungry. <laughs> as the heroes try to fight Wanda, Vision's guilt sets in and he rips the Mind Stone out of his own head, just like Thanos does in Infinity War, and it kills him. Uh, the zombie Wanda gets really upset like a puppy dog and grieves over her master before getting knocked out herself. By knocked out, I mean destroyed. Um, and at this point, the rest of the zombies charge because it was the Mind Stone energy that was keeping them back. And now that's gone, and here we go. Uh, so it ends up being Peter, T'Challa, and the head of Ant-Man. They manage to get on a plane and fly out while Banner... Uh, it's finally able to hulk out below to try and hold back the horde. They even barely escape newly zombified Hope, still in large format, um, and their plan now is to go to Wakanda, because Wakanda is supposed to be an impenetrable fortress where they can work on to find the cure, right? Very funny. Uh, the last frame that we get from the show is showing us that Wakanda has already been taken over by Thanos. Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet, Thanos with all the stones in the Infinity Gauntlet, and he's a zombie. So, I want a sequel to this episode already. Um, it was really, really fun. There were more than a ton of little Easter egg moments hidden around for regular viewers and familiar fans to pick up on. So make sure you watch it again um, to make sure you can catch all of that. There has been something that's been noted up on the internet quite a bit is that um, when Peter briefly has Doctor Strange's cape on in this episode of What If, it does look uncannily like 
What If issue 19, which was um, what if Peter Parker became an entertainer instead of a superhero. Uh, and it's basically him in his spider suit with a magician's cape, which is basically what Strange has. So um, the cape of levitation, which was good to see it as kind of its own character again. That's not the first time that we've seen it kind of as its own character in just this what if series. So that's really cool. And I kind of hope to see that going. Keep going. The next episode of What If is going to be coming this Wednesday, the 15th on Disney Plus, and it is going to be the episode involving Killmonger saving Tony Stark's life in the Middle East uh, before he becomes Iron Man. I guess he doesn't end up becoming Iron Man, uh, and instead Killmonger becomes his close friend. Um, based on the little trailer, which you can find online, it would seem that there is potentially going to be a war with Wakanda. Stark versus Wakanda? I don't know. Um, but it does not look like uh, T'Challa is in the episode, so um, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. On HBO Max this week, on th this past Thursday, we had Titans Episode 7, this Season 3 Episode 7. This episode was called 51%, and I really dug it. Once again, uh, cannot stress enough how happy I am with Barbara Gordon, uh, Starfire, and Blackfire's portrayals in this show. That holds through all. That holds true all through this episode. It's a tongue twister there, um, and I am just continue to be thrilled with their characterization in the show. In this episode, we get to see from the two, from the three of them, uh, from Barbara, the Oracle computer in use finally, and from the other two, we get to see them both fully costumed up in action side by side, which was a killer moment. If you watched it and you don't agree, I'm sorry, we can't be friends. I'm not sorry. Uh, it starts off though with Jason. <laughs> Remember in the last episode, Jason, who is of course Red Hood, he um, gave a lot of Crane's scarecrow gas to some random people out on the streets, causing them to be violent and um, getting really getting people curious about what what this is coming from and that's not something that crane needs people looking around poking around for him so uh jason is super surprised after all that went down that crane is crazy chill about him stealing his scarecrow gas and giving it out in the streets but unsurprisingly that was just a front and he actually ends up drugging jason as he takes drugs he double drugs him <laughs> with the intention of having him watch as he slaughters the titans. Additionally, there is a new and improved batch of the Scarecrow drug on the way. It is one that supposedly takes away the manic slaughter tendency, uh, which was causing all that chaos, and replaces it with a happy compliance. He's doing this, apparently, in order to make it easy for um, his Scarecrow cronies and everybody to take over the city probably the uh, gangs and stuff too, I would imagine, because he's working with them as well. Barbara, who is, of course, Commissioner Gordon, uh, she finally bends to uh, Dick's pressing, that sounds real bad, um, and agrees to use the Oracle machine to try and find Crane. The Oracle in this show is, is, is it's a big room with a giant, like, techie-looking mechanical eye basically and a bunch of screens when they go in it greets them by name and we becomes very clear through conversation that in this world barbara used the oracle she was not oracle herself the machine is oracle 
Um, at first they just use the machine to scan the frequencies of uh, whatever they can for signs of crane, but when that comes back with nothing, they move on to private frequencies, unwillingly in Barbara's case, things like cell phones, whatever conversation Oracle can pick up, period. Um, they get, they do get a potential location for Crane's base, but again, unsurprisingly, when they arrive, all that's there is a lead light and van, but inside they find another scientist who has a bomb attached to his heartbeats. This time, um, Superboy is able to see immediately that doing his regular counter trigger thing will not work. And Connor ends up having to fling Dick out of harm's way as the bomb ends up going off anyway. Um, this was a very, very clear setup, and the only way that that could have happened was if Crane knew about Oracle and was in the system somehow for them to get that exact message. So Babs, of course, decides to destroy it, and she does know that this is part of Scarecrow's plan, taking away the trustworthiness of their one big weapon, the Oracle machine. Without it, things will be presumably much, much harder. Starfile star <laughs> Starfire, meanwhile, is following her sister's suggestion and taking to Gotham's mob bosses to talk to them about Crane and hopefully get a location or any part of his plan. Uh, she approaches Valeska Knox, who is the silver-haired woman who we've seen in previous episodes, who is a mob boss, um, and Knox takes this opportunity to get the very famous and very attractive superhero sisters to do a, well, Starfire's famous, uh, to do a favor for her first, bring her estranged adult son back into the fold. So the sisters go and they track him down and convince him using their ways uh, to return to his mother with them who promptly shoots him in the head. Turns out he was an FBI informant and she felt the need to cut him out literally. Uh, this obviously does not sit well with Starfire who promised that man who is now dead his safety if he should come with them. So what does she do? <laughs> She burns Knox alive, inside out, with her power, as Commander watches admirably. And I do too, honestly. <laughs> and then when it says, they, they spent like half a second going, oh well, I guess we're not getting information from her. And then her security guard walks in as they're about to leave, and they end up using him for getting all the information they needed. Nothing like some good, strong, <laughs> sisterly bonding. Uh, but for real though, that 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 plot line, their plot line in this episode had some really great insights into their characters and their relationship. Blackfire tells her sister a story of a conversation she had with their father, who had told her that if a decision is at least 51% good, it is the right decision, regardless of the 49% bad. Um, at this point, after Starfire left and showed no signs of returning to Tamarin, the people had revolted on Tamarin. They blamed Blackfire and they called for her death. Their parents, uh, seeing the solution of calling for her death as 51% good, uh, they decided that they would bring that peace to their nation. I decided that it was the right call. Uh, and that is why Commander ended up killing them to save herself because they were going to slaughter her. So she feels... Um, Feeling guilty for, for everything her sister's gone through, Starfire returns Blackfire's armor to her, allowing her to join the fart. The fart, oh my god. 
<laughs> fight. Her armor is amazing and Blackfire looks amazing. It is Tamaranian technology, apparently. It appears just as gauntlets, but when she puts them on, they grow and expand to cover her body in this beautiful silver and black armor with some really cool details and blue and purple. I don't know, it was color. It's cool. It looks like a, like a modern suit of armor, like a knight would wear, but light and modern, you know? It's really awesome. Uh, in the end of the episode, the Titans got back together to take down the location that the mob guy spilled, um, including Starfire and Blackfire. With the whole team there, it ends up being obviously extremely easy to destroy the entire scene completely, and it causes Crane to flee with Jason in a shocked panic, which was really satisfying to see. And as a bonus, Dick and Barbara meet up again, this time finally closing that gap and reigniting their romance again. Um, I hadn't really thought about it before, but I'm, I'm okay with this. My only concern is that it puts Babs in a traditional position to be taken out in order to hurt Dick. And if you could not tell, that would be not be something that I would be very happy with seeing. But um, they've also made a really good... Uh, they've made a really good point of showing us how good Barbara is with self-defense, even in her wheelchair with one leg. So um, she can handle herself. They've kind of made that a point. I'm hoping that they're, in addition to not just wiping her out for some stupid reason, that they're going to continue characterizing herself as being able to handle herself and won't just write that off as, oh, it was a one-time thing that she just did great. Um, but I really love this episode. I did. Um, I am digging the hell out of the characterization we're getting between Commander and Coriander. Um, and I'm hoping we see a lot more of that. It was kind of rumored. I had thought they announced that Commander was going to be a villain of the show. Um, and while we haven't seen that yet, there's still a couple episodes left, so a lot can happen. Now we've got the two trailers we're going to discuss this week, and that includes Hawkeye trailer and the Doom Patrol Season 3 trailer. Starting off with Hawkeye, this morning we got a release date, a poster, and a teaser trailer. So that was a really cool thing to wake up to. The release date is November 24th, which looking at a calendar really quickly, is going to be continuing at their regular Wednesdays. However, uh, assuming this is going to be six episodes, as the others have been, the 24th is episode one, the first is episode two, the eighth is episode three, the 15th, the 22nd, and the 29th will be episode six, the 29th of December, assuming that they don't rearrange any of the dates or anything like that. So it'll be finishing up right at the end of the year. Um, and I'm not sure what the show after that's going to be. I'm really, I'm really not sure. Um, but I'm extremely excited for this and because very, very clearly, and this is not news in any way, this show is taking after the Matt Fraction, David Aha run of Hawkeye, which went from 2012 to 2015 and ran 22 issues with those creators winning at least two Eisner Awards that I know off the top of my head and adding a lot of um, new methods into the format of making comics, which by which I mean, I suppose they popularized kind of new or different ways to write and draw and create comics. Um, 
Hawkeye in the comics, you have to know, is very, very different from Hawkeye in the movies. When we see him in the Matt Fraction run, he is technically dating and cheating on Jessica Drew, who was Spider-Woman. He cheated on and broke up with ex-wife Bobby Morse, who was Mockingbird, and he has a flirtatious work romance, kind of sorts, with Natasha Romanoff, who is, of course, Black Widow. Uh, in the more recent Matthew Rosenberg run, it was Hawkeye Freefall. Um, he broke Night Nurse's heart and got dumped by her too. So what I'm saying is while Hawkeye in the MCU is married with kids, he is kind of the opposite of that in the comics. Um, male writers love writing piece of shit superhero men. I'm not sure what that's about, but it's a pattern and Hawkeye is definitely in that. Um, the, the Fraction AHA run followed Hawkeye as he, he buys his whole apartment building in New York in order to keep the tenants who he is very friendly with, he's basically family with, from having to find new places to live due to not being able to afford it. The issue uh, that he runs into is that the Russian mafia slash mob, they wanted the money from that building's rent or whatever, so they try and force him out of the neighborhood. Um, they're known from the comic as wearing tracksuits, um, tracksuit mafia, this, you know, Russian kind of thing, I guess. <laughs> uh, and the villains in the show are going to be, I think, Ukrainian tracksuit mafia guys. That's, that's fun. Um, Kate Bishop is already an established character as a heroic archer when the uh, Fraction Naha series starts. She was sort of meant to be Clint's protege in the series. Um, at least that from her perspective was meant to be his protege, but really ends up saving him from disaster more often than not, um, and coming to his aid at the last second more often than not. Lucky is a dog that Clint saves early on in the Fraction series. Uh, he bonds gratefully with both the Hawkeyes and the two Eisners that I can recall off the top of my head the series one. Uh, were for a single issue, as is issue 11, specifically told from Lucky's point of view. It's hard to, to kind of describe it, but it's beautiful. Um, there's, there's a great reason that it won, that, that single issue won two Eisners on its own. Uh, the Fraction series was also the series that brought back the discussion of Clint's deafness and that he wears a hearing aid. Um, there was actually another issue that was primarily told from the perspective of Clint Sans hearing aid, uh, which was really neat to see as well. Um, there have been a couple of, a couple of people who keep pointing out that uh, Clint appears to be wearing a hearing aid in certain points of the trailer. Um, so we'll see. We, are, we know Lucky's going to be in it. We know Kate's going to be in it. We'll see how much... Um, they kind of make that an actual topic versus just kind of having it there. Let's see how much they confirm that that's what that is. Um, there is a character who is being added to the story, and that is Maya Lopez. Superhero name Echo, she's being played by a deaf indigenous American who is Alakwa Fox. Oh, Cox, sorry. I did not read that right. Uh, she, in the comics, she ran as Ronan for a while after Clint had already borne the name, and that's, you know, pretty obviously how they're bringing her into the plot for this show. Her father was also killed by Kingpin uh, in a mob dispute in the comics, so that is likely another reason for her, uh, if not the reason, for her picking up the bow as Ronan and terrorizing mobsters under that mask. 
um, I also have to add here, the trailer has definitely set up the shots of the show in a way to try and confuse people. Maybe to try and keep non-comic readers from guessing that it is Maya, Maya Lopez, who is Ronan, um, leading them to assume that it's Kate. Because I, I this thinking back on it now, the trailer is cut where you see the new Ronan and they're discussed on TV. And then you get the the audio of Clint saying, when I wore this mask, I made a lot of enemies. And then you see him talking to Kate. That was, I think, purposely put that way to make people think that it's going to be Kate as Ronan. Um, but Maya is going to end up being an additional character that, you know, it's supposed to be like, nobody sees coming. Obviously, if you read the comics you, <laughs> and keep up with things, you know that it's coming. But um, I think that's kind of how they're trying to play this out to be, make you think that it's Kate, but then it's Maya. That's what I'm kind of thinking here. Um, I don't, I also have to, I don't think that Maya is trying to hurt Clint. I think that she's just kind of here to pick up where he left off. Uh, we also see in the trailer that one thing they're adding from uh, Hawkeye history that I believe was a fraction AHA creation as well was Clint's basically his bouquet of arrows of all kinds. He has an arrow for everything, net arrows. Um, and bomb arrows, uh, poison arrows, you know, all kinds of arrows. It's really fun. Um, and it looks like they're going to be doing a lot of that kind of discussion in the show as well about those fun arrows. That's really a good thing to look forward to. I'm also very excited um, to see the apparent Yelena Belova moments of the show, who is played by Florence Pugh. She was sent at the end of Black Widow to kill Clint by the good old Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, who may or may not be uh, a Madame Hydra in different form. Um, and the reason that she's been sent to kill him is basically because she's being tricked into thinking that he is the reason that uh, Black Widow Natasha died, which... I mean, it's kind of true. <laughs> They're not wrong. <laughs> so that'll be another um interesting dynamic that we're gonna see play out to some extent in the show i'm not sure what extent but it will appear at some point other than that the trailer shows the movie takes place over christmas when clint is supposed to be doing some one last superhero job or something uh before the first holiday back with his family post snap so that gives you some idea about the when this takes place um, whatever the reasons are for the tracksuit mafia trying to stop him, it's more than likely involved, that's my theory, more than likely involved with the tumultuous nature of all of the snapped people returning. Just like we saw in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it's causing a lot of problems on the, you know, lower levels on the ground. So, uh, potentially his, his dealings with the tracksuit mafia will be involved with the that that whole concept um the only other character i think who's worth mentioning here is that kate bishop's mother eleanor bishop will be appearing in the series uh, played by vera farmiga um what's interesting about that is that she doesn't actually appear in the series that most of the inspiration for this show is being taken from that that um fraction aha that fraction aha run she did not come into play until 
um, later on in, I believe, the second Hawkeye series that included her. Um, and so that kind of makes me think that she is being put in as a character who will continue forward with Kate's story in the MCU, um, while Clint will probably remain behind. Um, I, I, I definitely think that we're not going to see as much Clint, if any, in the MCU, um, after this show. But, I mean, that all remains to be seen. In any case, I'm, I'm excited for it. This looks really fun. It looks hella campy. Don't get me wrong. It looks campy as hell, but it's going to be fun. So there's no denying that. Now, Doom Patrol season three. Um, this is a little bit of a, <laughs> a little bit of an off kilter one. This is a DC show that does premiere on HBO Max, and the date that we have for the premiere now is September twenty third, which, as I record this, is in ten days. Is it really okay? Yeah, ten days, and that is a Thursday. Um, so, depending on how many episodes of Titans we get. This will be premiering the same nights as Titans, so that's going to be DC Comics Night on Thursdays. Um, the cast of this show, if you are unfamiliar or if you've just forgotten, we have Brendan Fraser as a robot man, Matt Bomber as Negative Man, April Balby as Elasta Woman, Jovian Wade as Cyber Cyborg, Diane Guerrero as Crazy Jane, and Timothy Dalton as The Chief. Uh, this season, we're getting the addition of Michelle Rodriguez, who you may know as Madame Satan <laughs> from uh, The Sabrina Show, or as Missy from Doctor Who. She is coming in as the character Madame Rogue, or I think it's Madame Rouge, might be what that says, who has a mission apparently for the Doom Patrol, but has very fuzzy memories. And I have a quote here from the creator, one of the creators on board of the show. She says... When I was talking to her, and by her she means Michelle Rodriguez, about the part, I was trying to explain to her that in our eyes, the Madame Rouge of Doom Patrol is much like the other characters in that you can't quite pin them as good or bad. Uh, this was an interview with Entertainment Weekly, and she says, They've all done things they're ashamed of, but that doesn't necessarily make them bad people. This wrestling with the am I good or bad reality, or is reality or is really at the heart of Michelle's character arc this season, and she rings more out of a line in terms of finding comedy or pathos than just about anybody. I think what she brings to the show is just thrilling. So then you should know that in the comics, this character Rouge, whose real name is Laura DeMille, is a top member of the Brotherhood of Evil, who are just, I mean, it's pretty obvious, the Brotherhood of Evil, they're a bunch of villains who group together. Um, and then we also have it confirmed that the Brotherhood's founder, called the Brain, um, and his talking gorilla companion, Monsieur Mala, will also be apparently in the season as well. Um, this is definitely that kind of show, though. You get talking gorillas. You get time-traveling ladies with very bad memory issues who aren't really sure what the deal is. Um, and apparently in this season, we're also going to get a group of... Um, evildoers called the Sisterhood Sisterhood of Dada, um, which is taken from the comics Brotherhood of Dada, which was founded by good old Mr. Nobody. Um, and the season finale of the show, if you're just wondering about that, will be happening on November 11th. 
I haven't read too much Doom Patrol comics myself. I'm familiar with the characters through various means. Cyborg, Crazy Jane, Robot Man. Um, they've appeared in the comics through the years for some of them a very, very long time. Um, if you are someone who would like to read Doom Patrol, I have heard that the Grant Morrison run is probably uh, the way to go. Morrison excels at writing really kooky things, um, and if you've seen any of this show or read any Doom Patrol comics, you will understand that it's kooky. <laughs> kooky is the word. <laughs> Last item on the agenda today is the comic book pull list for this week. Things coming out for DC Comics on Tuesday the 14th and for everything else on Wednesday the 15th. I have these all ordered in uh, by number. So number one's down to number 24 for Marauders is what I have here. So starting off with Ma number one. This is an indie comic by Jude Ellison, S. Doyle, and A.L. Kaplan. Uh, I do have for a, for the majority of these, I do have the solicitations. Um, so I will go ahead and read those. This says, what happens when one woman becomes the real monster society has always made her out to be? Dragged by her sister Wendy to a feminist retreat on the remote island of Angitia, Marion Angela Weber hopes to gain some, some perspective and empowerment that isn't at the bottom of a bottle, but everything is horribly derailed after an assault on the first night there. On their first night there, the violent encounter awakens something in Marion she never imagined, triggering warped mutations in her body and awakening a hunger she can't bring herself to name. When the townsfolk react to suspicion and violence, with suspicion and violence, what unforgivable act will transform Marion into the very monster they've made her out to be? A provocative five-issue horror series. So what this really sounds to me is that it is some kind of, um... It's a flip on the whole Me Too thing, right? Where a lot of the women who come out and, um, you know, anyone who is seen, just as an example, come out against some guy in Hollywood who's really popular um, and say that, well, I've had these experiences that are really terrible with him. You do get a lot of time, the, not really witch hunts, but where they kind of spin around and attack the, the accusing women because you know, how dare you call my fave problematic? <laughs> um, so this is taking that and turning it into kind of an extreme horror story where all of the suspicion and terror that she feels and that she's feel felt towards her becomes physical. So that'll be, I'm very interested in how this is going to be. And it's only going to be five issues, so it won't be too much to keep up with. We have Titans United number one is going to be by Kevin Scott and, uh, with art by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez and inks by Jonas Trinidad. This is an interesting series for me because it brings back together Nightwing, Donna Troy, Supergirl, Superboy, who is of course Connor Kent, Starfire, Raven, Beast Boy, and Red Hood brings them all back together. It's going to be, I think, five issues. And I just, I, I don't know. It's, I have no idea what it's about. Um, except for the fact that it's bringing the Titans back together and possibly the Titans TV show being a lot of fun has some influence on that, but I'm very excited for it. 
Eternals Thanos Rises number one is again by Kieran Gillen with art this time by Dustin Weaver. We're going to have another Eternals, uh, well rather the Eternal series is going to continue with Kieran Gillen and Asad Ribic later this fall. Meanwhile, this is a one shot that we're going to get to fill in some stuff information in the meanwhile. What we have here says, Eternals are created, not born. They have families, but their families make no new children. It's simply not what Eternals do. Some of them thought they could ha find a way to change that and believed it would be for the best. They were terribly, terribly wrong. What I kind of understand this to be is the story of how Thanos is related to the deviants and the Eternals, how that all kind of works. So, um, and we know that when the Eternal series by Kieran Gillen returns this fall, Thanos will be Eternals Prime, which is freaking amazing and terrible and frightening and awesome. <laughs> so this is one you're definitely not going to want to miss if you're kind of following this Eternals business. Um, I don't think it's going to... It may connect a little bit to the movies. We'll kind of have to wait and get some more trailers for the movies before um, I know how much of this Kieran Gillen Eternals run is connected at all to the MCU Eternals. Um, but right now where I kind of land with that is... Kieran Gillen developed this idea of the machine, which brings the Eternals back every time they die. I believe the ship that the Eternals return to in the trailer, I believe that is their machine. Harley Quinn, the animated series, the Eat, Bang, Kill Tour number one. Um, that was quite a mouthful of a title, but that kind of goes along with the animated series titles, just like Batman, the animated series season two. It's good. The animated series continues, I think. Adventures continues season. I don't know. It's something crazy like that. This, of course, is not based on the Batman animated series. This is based off the Harley Quinn animated series, which was on um, DC Universe and then HBO Max and will be premiering again on HBO Max when it comes out, I believe, early 2022 with the third series. I love that dang show. Um... I honestly think if you're an adult who reads comics and who watches it and doesn't like it, you probably need to see a therapist about the ingrained patriarchal and sexist ideals um, and probably homophobic ideals too. I'm not trying to offend you, I just think that you have some ingrained stuff you need to work through because this show is fucking hilarious. <laughs> Um, and I'm obviously going to be reading the comic, which has been premiering digitally first, but I don't do that. So we're reading it print. The comic is by T. Franklin and Max Sarin. And what it says about the first issue here is Harley and Ivy on the road trip of the century. Following the wedding disaster of the decade, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy end up on the run from Commissioner Gordon and the GCPD. But as fun as all that sounds, Ivy still worries over leaving Kite Man at the altar. Luckily, Harley's got the perfect scheme to shake her out of the, her wedding day blues. I mean, you get Kite Man. You get, um, depressed alcoholic Commissioner Gordon, who's shitty at his job. You get, um... Batgirl, who's just awesome. You get Batman, who's- I honestly don't remember. He, like, disappeared, I think, and I'm not sure if he ever came back. Um, you get King Shark, but, like, way cooler than he's ever been done, and yes, I am including the Suicide Squad version. Um, it's just really cool. I- I love this show, and I'm excited to see what the series is gonna do with a comic series. 
Extreme Carnage Agony number one is part, ooh, I want to say part seven of eight of the Extreme Carnage uh, mini event, whatever it is. And it is the last of the Life Foundation symbiote one shots. This one is going to be written by Alyssa Wong with art by Fran Galen. Agony did appear in the previous issue, um, just to kind of show us that she is aware of what's going on, but does not want to be involved. Um, so like I said, kind of discussing the toxin one earlier, I do hope she winds up on the side of Andy Benton and silence and anti-venom. Um, but it's really, it's unsure at this point. I don't think they're going to kill off any of the life foundation symbiotes permanently here. Um, just kind of evolve them if they do the way that they did with scream. But in any case, um, this is, this is probably going to be a really fun issue. It just says, uh, enter agony as the odds and symbiotes stack against our heroes. Is there any way they can win against carnage? Probably just getting the gang together as much as they can, which will probably include agony. Vampyverse number one comes out this week. If you're going to be getting any covers from this series, get the Hetrick covers. Megan Hetrick. Trust me, you will not regret it. What it says here on the solicitation. From the writers of Vengeance of Vampirella and the Vampirella Valentine's Day Special 2021 comes a mind-splitting event. A different Vampirella for every thread, for every kind of story across the fabric of space and time. A Vampirella of every conceivable notion born to protect her particular reality. But now something, someone, is killing them and stealing away their precious life energies and growing in power. It is up to the Vampirella of one of these realities to gather some of her special sisters to stop this growing threat and keep it from destroying the creator of all things, the artist, and preventing the unraveling of all reality. That would be really funny if they mean the artist like, like the artist Daniel Main, who is doing the art for this. That would be really cool. The writer is Tom Snigoski. Um, this sounds really, really awesome. Very similar in the vein of um, Sonya Versal. So... I will definitely be picking this up and picking up the Megan Hetrick cover specifically. I Am Batman number one kicks off officially this week by John Ridley and Olivier Coppel. Um, this is the story of Jace Batman, Jace Fox Batman. So in the throes of future state, the streets of Gotham cry for justice and Jace Fox answers the call with a new and improved bat suit. Jace hits the streets to inspire and protect as he follows the trail of the voice of misinformation and violence and the anarchist anti-oracle. Can the new Dark Knight counterbalance their plan to inspire armed rebellion in the citizens of Gotham? Can one man inspire a city? There was also in the Fear State kickoff issue, there was a, a good bit where the narration was saying, you know, who could possibly save Gotham? And the art was jace turning to put on the bat suit so obviously he's going to be a really integral character in finishing up that storyline porcelain number two by maria levey it's of four or five issues i'm not really sure um it's a classic maria levey horror story with a lot of elements of alice in wonderland um i would say mad max uh, little red riding hood um and just a variety of fairy tales. Um, and this could be a cautionary tale, or it could just end up being a really fun horror story. Um, but it involves creepy dolls and, uh, 
I don't know. I dig it. I'm really looking forward to how, where it goes. X-Men Trial of Magneto number two, uh, also really fantastic one that I'm looking forward to. It'll be by Leah Williams and Lucas Wernick. Um, the solicit says, habeas corpus, heroes of the Marvel universe came to Krakoa for a memorial. Now they've got a fight. Magneto pushes Krakoa and the council to the brink. Also, there's something wrong with the body. The body, of course, being Scarlet Witch Wanda Maximoff. I think at this point we all know that Magneto did not kill her. Um, someone has killed her to make it look like Magneto did kill her. Um, but there is something up with the fact that Scarlet Witch is a Nexus being, is what I'm willing to bet. Um, and that is why her body is being kind of absorbed into Krakoa, it looks like. And uh, she seems to be in some kind of dream realm where she is being killed and returning to life over and over again. Um, and again, my theory on that is that she is a Nexus being. Um, we also know that there is a possibility to have her fully revived uh, through the resurrection protocols, even though she is not officially a mutant. Um, so there's always that option later on if, if none of their, you know, searching for things really works out. Maneaters, The Curse number three comes out this week and Chelsea Kane, I goddamn love you. The solicitation is Witchcraft for Children. This book is required reading for all young witches. It is routinely updated with the latest frog defense, self-defense techniques. Other topics include the history of craft camp, potion making, fair identification, the rules of pickleball, and necromancy. Now with spell cards, clip and save. Please bring your book with, with you to camp. <sighs> God, I love this series. This creative team. I, 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 I... I never want them to stop making comics. Chelsea Kane, please. I love you. <laughs> Superman and the Authority, number three. Um, it's going to be the group that Superman has put together going against the Ultra Humanite. Um, uh, I really enjoy this, even though I have a feeling I'm not going to understand where this is going. <laughs> I don't care. I like it. Grant Morrison is doing a hell of a job writing a gay comic and Mikhail Janin is doing just as good writing it. So, um, you, you got me there. You can't go wrong. I'm just digging it and it's only a four. So we're almost already done with it, but it's so fun. And it's Grant Morrison's last work at DC. So you don't want to miss out. Fantastic Four Life Story number four continues this week by Mark Russell with a backdrop of the 1990s. The Mighty Valkyries number five has its final issue, um, which I'm a little confused about because I was at a comic shop in the Bay Area this week and I swear to God they had one this issue on their shelf. I swear they did. Um, but in any case, if they didn't, I guess it's coming out this week and we're going to see finally what everything kind of comes up to with Queen Carnilla, with uh, Hela, with the God Babies, with Jane and Runa. Um, all of that is going to come to a head finally in this issue. Homesick Pilots number nine is by Dan Waters and Kaspar Wingard. Um, really have been just, this has been one of my absolute favorite series. <laughs> this has been so good. It takes place in the 90s and it has undescribable art. Um, I believe it finishes at issue 10, um, which will be, I think in November, 
And then we have Black Widow number 11 by Kelly Thompson with guest artist Raphael De La Torre. Um, this is starting up a new arc of the Black Widow series. It says, with Apogee in her rear view, Natasha pushes forward with her plans to become the superhero San Francisco needs. When an old source sends Natasha and her team looking for a mysterious pair known only as the twins, the Black Widow has to confront the fact that Apogee may not be as behind them as she'd hoped, but are the twins friends or foe? Iron Man number 12 um, if Patsy's not in this issue, I'm just going to stop because I just read this for Patsy. <laughs> Patsy Walker, Hellcat. Spider-Woman number 15, uh, Jessica goes against her new evil brother, which is pretty funny. Carla Pacheco and Perry Perez are doing some great work here. Uh, not sarcasm. I really do think it's awesome. Um, and I, I think this is going to be ongoing still. Uh, the last issue that is solicited mentions the start of a new story arc, so it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. And the last comic we're going over now is Marauders number 24 by Gary Duggan with Phil Noto on art. Yes! Yes! I love Phil Noto's interior art. Um, and Marauders has been really good personally for me recently because they've had a lot of really awesome female empowering stories which I am obviously all about. The one line that it has here for the solicit says, Space Pirates, the Marauders hit the highest seas of all when they point their bow to the stars. But what threat awaits them and why has it sworn vengeance? This sounds really funny. It sounds like a bit of a thick filler issue, but I'm not arguing, especially if Phil Noto is doing the interiors. That's a good way to make me interested in any series. Put Phil Noto on the interiors. There's not a lot of artists that you can say that. There's probably five max that you could say anything you put this artist on i'm there <laughs> and that wraps up this week's monday episode of sensational she geek live from yancey street thank you for listening to whatever this podcast part you did it's about 10 o'clock here and i'm quite tired so i'm gonna go take a shower and hit the sack which is apparently how people in america say go to bed do people say that elsewhere? Probably not. Um, <laughs> my next episode, if everything goes as planned, will be Friday the 17th, where I will be discussing the new Titans episode, the new What If episode, and what I thought about comics this week. Um, there's a lot of really good stuff coming out, and as I always say, if I don't talk about anything that strikes your fancy but you still want to uh, get going on reading comics, definitely check out your local comic book shop because they would love to have you tell them about your interests in order for them to tell you about a comic that you may find interesting as well. Um, I read a lot of comics. I don't read nearly a fraction of all the comics that come out each week, and I don't even read half the comics that are critically acclaimed as good in each week, so... Um, I just can't. It's just it would just take my entire life. <laughs> and, I do, and I do still have a real-world job, which... You know, if you want to help me out with that, there is the Patreon, the Kofi, and the Red Bubble, so I may spend less time at that regular job and more time working on the podcast and making it good for y'all, you guys. Um, that being said, if you do have any comments, questions, concerns, theories, speculation, anything like that that you do want to discuss, definitely do reach out to me on social media or on whatever platform that you're listening to the podcast on. And I will do my best to respond to you and... Um, yeah, that's that's about <coughs> I don't have COVID, I'm just tired and my throat hurts from talking. Anyway 
as we get into autumn and everything kind of starts to change to be in that sort of fall feeling, um, do something good for people around you. I was at the memorial for my family member over the weekend. Um, be generous in your life. If there's, if there's one thing that I took away from that, be generous in your life and be kind and be caring. Um, have empathy, have respect for people who you don't understand. You know, even if you don't get them, let them explain themselves, be respectful, be empathetic and be kind to your fellow humans. So that's all I got to finish this up guys. Have a good week. Get sweaty about comics for me and we'll talk again on Friday.